Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing times, the changing world, and the things that we can do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, August the 13th, 2009. I think this is episode 256. Like I said, yesterday was 256, but yesterday was 255. I don't really know, but you can look at the title of the episode you just downloaded, or if you're listening to it on the site, you can look at it there, and it'll be right there. Um, um, today we're going to do a show that I think is going to be really kind of cool. Uh, it's going to be fun for me. I don't do a lot of shows on firearms, and I, I definitely don't do, I, I don't think I do enough shows on practical firearms for hunting. Right? I mean, I think that's that's probably one of the big holes that I've left out, so I'm going to rectify that today. We've had a lot of discussion lately on the forum and the blog, on episode that we did with an interview, and uh, all other types of things about tactical shotguns. And I was thinking yesterday morning, uh, I probably should do a show on sporting shotguns and selecting a sporting shotgun and the differences in shot sizes and chokes and everything like that. Um, and then some discussion in the forum kind of pushed it over the edge a little bit for me and said, yeah, I really need to do this. Uh, because I've probably got a lot of guys out there that are really familiar with tactical shotguns and uh, never, maybe never spent a lot of time out in the woods shooting doves or ducks or quail or anything else like that or even deer and might think that, well, if I ever end up in a situation where I need to do that, that my tactical shotgun is just as good a tool as anybody else's. And it's not exactly the case. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that's going to be the main body of today's show. For the intro segment, the Ask Clown of the Day Award um, goes to a guy named Kenny McCaskill. Kenny McCaskill gets the Ask Clown of the Day Award. Who is Kenny McCaskill? Um, I'm sure I can't, with all the different accents that I seem to have, you know, northeastern, uh, redneck, coal miner, uh, you know, coal region, South Texas redneck, um, New Yorker, New Jerseyite, whatever. You think I could do a Scottish accent? I can't, folks. So I can't properly. Uh, make fun of this jackass, but it really isn't anything funny about this guy making the ass clown of the award today. Who is this guy? He's a Supreme Court justice, or a, court, a justice anyway. I don't know what they call them in uh, in Scotland. There's a justice that went to a prison cell recently to visit a gentleman by the name of Abdul Basit Ali Bahama Yaka blah blah blah, right? Well, who is Abdul Basit Ali Yaka blah blah blah? Um, with 18 names, you know. Uh, he's a guy that built a bomb that went inside a radio that you guys might remember from 1989 that blew up a Pan Am flight over Lockerbie, Scotland and killed everybody on it. Now, why is he an ass clown? Because he went and visited this guy? No, I'd go visit the guy and poke him in the eye. Um, it rhymed, huh? <laughs> anyway, Abdullah blah, 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 blah has prostate cancer. Now, if anybody's lost anybody to prostate cancer or dealt with it, don't be offended by this because I'd say the same thing if this guy's going to get run over by a truck, but good for him. All right? Um, but, you know, the Scottish people don't believe apparently in the death penalty, so they didn't put a bullet or a high-voltage wire up this guy's ass or anything. He's been in jail since 89, getting to live, unlike uh, the people that he killed. Well, now they feel bad for him because he's in the final stages of cancer and he's going to die soon. So instead of having him die alone in prison, they're going to send him home to die with his family. Bullshit. 
do the people that died on that aircraft, do they get to go home and die with their family, or do they die scared alone on an airplane? Ass clown of the day. First international ass clown of the day. Groundbreaking moment at TSP. This guy's a jackass, and everybody involved with the decision to let this blah blah hakamama out of freaking prison should be smacked in the freaking face at a minimum. And I'd like you to go look at the people who were left behind from these people. Look them in the face and tell them why you think this man deserves the dignity of going home and die with his family instead of dying alone in a prison system. You know what? Uh, it might not surprise anybody that I am a proponent, uh, when used properly, of the death penalty. But I heard one objection to it, and this just reminds me of it. One objection to it that if we would do it, I would consider taking the death penalty as it is off the table. And that would be that if you were get guilty of a capital crime, that we would sentence you to die in prison. And that simply meant life with no possibility of parole, but absolutely no possibility of parole, period. You could go save a thousand orphans. It doesn't matter. You are, you've been sentenced to die in prison. You know what? If you're not going to have the death penalty, at least do that. Out of decency for the people that have been killed and for the families of them that are left behind. So, Kenny McCaskill, last plan of the day. Um, hero of the day. Is an organization called Friends of the NRA. Now, I normally wouldn't select a group like that that I'm so, you know, have so much affinity with as Hero of the Day because they could always be Hero of the Day. It doesn't really say anything. But this was sent in by a listener, and it's for a specific action. Um, this listener said her son was sent to Washington, D.C. on an all-expense-paid seven-day trip on a program called YES, which is the Youth Educational Summit. Uh, her son and a bunch of uh, his, uh, a bunch of other kids, I don't know if they're his friends or not, but they all went together. They toured the Marine Corps uh, at Quantico in the Marine Corps Museum, uh, the NRA Museum. They went and saw a lot of monuments and things like that. They learned about the history of their country and the foundation of the Second Amendment is a core principle in our nation. That's a hoo-ah right there, boys. That's that's good stuff. Setting kids off, because if you show them reality young, it's going to be real hard for someone to take it away. And let me say, and this is why I thought this would be a good one to bring up, if you've never been to Washington, D.C., you need to go to Washington, D.C. In, in spite of how many ass clowns there are up there, there's some things you need to do. You need to stand in front of that big black wall with 58,000 names of it on men that never came back from a place called Vietnam and a place they never wanted to go to. You need to put your hand on that wall and you need to feel a connection. And then you don't need to cheap out and think, well, I saw the big memorial. You need to walk across the park to the other side. You need to go over there and look at all those men carrying rifles on their back that are statues today. And you need to see the Korean War Memorial and think about the men that were forgotten. And while you're up there, I suggest you take a little bit of a ride up north to Pennsylvania to Gettysburg. And I, I, I suggest you stand at the high tide line of the south and you think about when the station was almost pulled in two. I suggest you stand at the cemetery in Gettysburg and you listen to those men who say, don't waste it. Don't waste it. We died on both sides. And there was a chance to make this place better after it happened. Don't waste the chance we gave you. All right, with that, let's move on to the... uh, the house cleaning 
or housekeeping as I've changed it to on a listener suggestion today. Uh, number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers. Uh, they are all personal endorsements by me. Uh, if I would not buy their product, if I would not do business with them uh, as a consumer, they, they don't get to do business with me as an advertiser, and they are personally vetted uh, by our staff of about 30 moderators. Now, if two or more moderators decide based on anything they learn uh, that they don't think they're a good match for the site, uh, they get vetoed and they don't get to be on the site, and we will turn them down. Um, recently, I've turned down two. They basically had a check in hand and never even got to get in front of the moderators because they didn't get past me. So I want you to understand that. We're not just a place you just buy advertising. We endorse these people. The first one is ready-made resources. Those guys are solid. Uh, they have some really great stuff. And uh, I was asked to let you guys know that they are now Maxpedition, uh, Maxpedition uh, dealers. And uh, I'll put a link not only to their site in today's show notes, but I'll put a link to their Maxpedition page. And I think they have some pretty good deals on Maxpedition gear as an intro right now. Uh, our other sponsor of the day is Tactical Response. Skier James Yeager, who was on the show on Monday with a really great interview and really great insight into tactical uh, needs for firearms. They have some of the best gear and they have some of the best training available. Go check them out. Uh, again, link in today's show notes. Forum. Our forum rocks. You need to join our forum. You need to be part of our forum. If you join our forum and your activation email never shows up, send me an email. Tell me the username you selected. I will go sort it out for you. I don't want anybody uh, that has been uh, prevented by Yahoo spam filtration technology, which sucks, or Gmail or anything else out there to not be able to be part of our forum. Let me know. I will fix it for you. Please do not just send me an email, though. I tried to register for the forum, and I didn't get an activation email. And not tell me who the hell you are, what your username is, or what email address you used when you when you joined the forum, because I won't be able to find you, I won't be able to help you. And folks, I run out of time, and sometimes I just delete those emails as much as I want to help you. I can't, because there's just no way that I can possibly take every kind of like lost email like that that comes in. And God, I hate trucks. Anyway, I uh, hadn't had an auto rant for a long time. We're going to work on one today now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so please join our forum next. Uh, if you think the show is worth more than 20 cents an episode to you, consider joining the Members Support Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members, including over $64 worth of retail value free giveaways on day one, which will pay for your membership for the first year. And you'll help this show continue to do what we're doing, which is help you live that better life, whether times get tough or even if they don't. And let's move on into the primary topic today, which is the hunting slash sporting shotgun, and by sporting I mean simulated hunting sports, I'm not talking about three gun tactical competition, IDPA, anything like that, I am talking about either busting doves or busting clays, knocking down turkeys or standing in front of the skeet trap, okay, I'm talking about either knocking down a ringneck pheasant or walking a sporting clays course, that's what I'm talking about today. And the only reason we do those sports is so that we can become better hunters. Uh, And, well, okay, they're a lot of fun. But on that note, why a shotgun is a hunting tool? You know, just if if you said to me, Jack, look, I can only afford to buy one gun, and uh, yeah, I might want to defend my home with it if I have to, but I want it for hunting. 
I want to be able to hunt as much and, and as, as many different things as possible. What should I buy? And I'd say go buy yourself a good, solid shotgun, uh, probably a pump or a semi-auto. And we'll talk about that in a second, why I would make that recommendation. I'd say make sure it's one that has uh, screw-in choke tubes. And if you can scrape up enough extra money for a good uh, rifle-sided slug barrel, buy a slug barrel to go with it. And you can pretty much go anywhere in the world and pretty much hunt any daggone thing out there other than like the really dangerous stuff like Cape Buffalo. I don't think I'd like to shoot a Cape Buffalo with a shotgun slug, but you know what? If you had to, you could do it. And it is the only implement in the world that will let you hunt something as small and fragile without destroying it. It's, let's say, a woodcock or a morning dove or a snipe. And for those that know the snipe hunting joke, there's real snipes that you actually hunt. Okay? And if you don't believe me, Google snipe. Okay? And look at the bird, not the snipe hunting gag. Anyway, there's nothing in the world that will let you go from that small of a creature and then turn around, load up a slug, and knock the snot out of a black bear. There's no other tool out there that will do it other than a shotgun. The shotgun of today is the 75 caliber musket of the American, you know, pre-American Revolution frontier. It is the do-all tool. It is the working man's gun. You can spend $50,000 on a shotgun, or you can go find a decent brand new shotgun that will do a lot of utility for you for under $250. There's still some of them out there. Uh, they're not the very best, but they're okay. There's nothing else that meets that. So that's why a shotgun. Um, now let's talk real quick about the different types of shotguns. And I'm talking about actions now. You know, what are your what are your four primary actions when it comes to a shotgun? Uh, you have a single shot, which is almost inevitably a break action shotgun, which means you push a button and the gun almost looks like it breaks in half and you drop one shell in and close it. And most single shots, not all, there's some very expensive uh, guns for ski and for trap uh, that are single shots that have a hammerless uh, uh, system, but most single shot shotguns have a cockable hammer on them. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. In fact, let's go ahead and just talk about them as we go. Now, what's the advantage of a single shot? Well, one of the advantages is they're relatively light compared to everything else that's out there. They have a smaller frame than even a double, uh, so a single shot 12 gauge is generally lighter than a uh, double barrel uh, 12 gauge. Whether it's under and over uh, side by side doesn't matter. It's usually lighter. Definitely lighter than most pumps and semi-autos, so it's light. Uh, because it's brake action, it doesn't have a a receiver. All right, it just has a chamber and it goes against a breech block. So a 26 inch barrel single shot is overall length shorter than a 26 inch barreled pump shotgun. All right. So it has a length advantage. If you're teaching a youngster or a new shooter to shoot, they get one shot. It makes them concentrate better. That is all. It does not really have, in my opinion, any other advantages other than if it's a hammered single shot and you're teaching a new shooter to shoot, when that hammer is down, especially the newer guns with transfer bar safety like the NEF uh, single shot shotguns, one of the very best values in firearms, especially with single shot shotguns under 100 bucks for anything that you want that they make. Beautiful little guns, honestly. Um, 
that hammer is highly visible to you when you're instructing. When that hammer is down, you can beat on it with a, a ball-peen hammer. The gun will not go off. It is impossible for that gun to fire with the hammer down. When they're cocking it, if you don't put your finger on the trigger when you're cocking, then you shouldn't. Releasing it won't let it go off either. You have to pull the trigger with the hammer fully cocked to fire the gun, so it's inherently safe. And, unlike a safety that may be underneath the gun, uh, where you can't see it, when that new shooter has that hammer back, it's highly visible to you. You know that gun is ready to go off. It makes it easier for you to control a new shooter, especially a youngster. All right, so that's that's really the advantages there. Doubles. I think everybody's familiar with the double barrel shotgun, um, one way or another. There's two primary types of double barrel shotguns. There's a side-by-side and over and under. And um, the advantages are really not that big a deal between the two of them. I personally think it's easier to shoot an over and under well. If you go look at all the uh, people that shoot clays, like sporting clays, competitively, uh, just about all of them shoot over and unders. Uh, they only ever have to take two shots, so the, the shot count is not an issue for them. You don't really see them out there with side-by-sides. That would seem to mean that they agree with me on easier to shoot. But a side-by-side is a cool gun, and they are fun to shoot as well. Uh, advantages, also lighter and shorter than pumps and autos of the same barrel length because they have less parts. Inherently safe, uh, two shots instead of one, so they have an advantage over the, uh, the single shot. Absolutely no need to take any action to fire the second shot unless you're dealing with the old hammered models, which I do not recommend a hammered gun for a double barrel. Um, you can take two shots very, very quickly. Uh, so they are as fast for two shots as, let's say, a semi-auto is. And in fact, I would say they're actually faster in most instances uh, because they generally fit the shooter better. We'll talk about fit in a minute. Pumps. Um, the advantage of a pump is you get one more shot. Now, people will say, well, you can load them up with five shots. Well, not for hunting in anywhere that I know of. Every state that I know of that allows a shotgun for hunting requires you to do what's called plug it. Most of them come off the shelf plugged to a three-shell capacity. One in the chamber, two in the magazine. So you get a third shot. Um, The advantages pretty much end there for hunting. Right? For a tactical situation, I think a pump's a better gun. In fact, I don't recommend uh, double barrels for home defense at all unless it just happens to be what you have available when a situation arises. If it's a planned thing, I don't recommend them. They are a hunting tool. Um, they're very reliable. They tend to not jam, uh, which is an advantage over semi-autos that can jam at times. Uh, they're easy to maintain. They're easy to clean. But the big advantage is, you know, from an implementation standpoint, that one extra shot. Generally, a, a good solid over and under is going to point better and feel better for you as a shooter in the field. Um, the other advantage, though, is they are a lot more affordable than most quality over-and-unders or side-by-sides. So they're an affordable working man's utility gun. And remember, we're not talking about tactical today, so leave that. you got to let that stuff go for today. All right, now the next thing is the semi-auto. The semi-auto is like a pump that you don't have to pump. So everything I just said, plus you can shoot faster, disadvantage being they cost more and they can jam. 
They have a, they're the only one of all the shotguns that has even a relatively high propensity to jam. I've never had problems with uh, pump guns jamming unless something breaks in them, uh, where they don't eject properly or they don't feed shells properly. Um, one quick note here. If you have, buy a new Remington 870 and you look down into the uh, tube underneath where you load your shells into, you'll probably see a little orange piece of plastic. What I want you to do is go and buy yourself the original piece that went down there. And they did that so it would be easier to see that there's no shells in the gun. That's fine. Except for the fact that that plastic during recoil tends to jam and make it very hard to feed shells into the tube for additional shooting. So replace that with the original little piece of steel. You can buy those from a company called Brunel's. I think you can get it from Midway USA as well. But that little piece of plastic is a piece of crap, folks. It doesn't belong there. It doesn't work well. If they want to put something down there, then they should have figured out how to make the piece of metal orange and keep orange on it. Plastic don't belong in a place where it can jam up on you. And I can tell you flat out, it happens. Uh, remove it. You'll thank me for it later. Um, let's go on to uh, one. Let's go briefly and talk about proper fit. Uh, if you have a tactical shotgun, odds are that the stock on it is relatively short. Uh, it'll allow you to square up on your target when you're shooting man-sized target at man-sized ranges uh, much better. Uh, tactical situation with a shotgun, you generally are going to be more likely to stand the way you would with a handgun. Elbows down, squared up on the target, um, deliberate, uh, and you're shooting a fairly large target if you're shooting at a human. Let's be honest with it. When you're shooting in the field, let's say we're in the dove field, even if you're driving, you probably let one hand loose. Take your hand and make a fist in front of yourself right now, and then stick your thumb and your uh, pinky out like you're doing the hang loose sign. And that is basically you're looking at actually a little bit bigger than the kill zone on the average morning dove. Now imagine your hand is 35 yards away from you and about 30 yards high, taking a angle crossing you at about 45 degrees and it's traveling 60 miles an hour. That's what you have to knock down in the dove field, and that's a typical shot. Again, 60 miles an hour. Doves routinely, every day, just for the hell of it, because they can, fly at speeds of up to 60 miles an hour, which means a dove with a 20-mile-an-hour tailwind might be doing 80 miles an hour. I ain't making it up, folks. You can check it out. Okay, so that would tell us that shooting a human being, because we're in a tactical situation, at 35 feet and shooting a dove in a dove field are two entirely different situations. And they require entirely different tools. And one of the biggest differences in tools is fit. Now, you can spend a lot of money getting a gun custom fit. It's something I've never done. It's something that someday I'd like to do because I've actually handled a gun that the gunsmith uses where they adjust the stock to fit it for you. And when you get right fit, you know it. It's like putting on a custom-made pair of boots where the guy measures your feet instead of going and buying a size 10 off of the shelf. It's an immediate, and it's it's obvious to you that it's there. Fortunately for me, the Beretta White Wing is dimensioned very, very close to a proper fit for me, and it's why it's my favorite uh, gun for the field for shooting doves and quail and things like that. Um, but fit's important. 
and the best way you could just get like a rough idea of fit, when you shoulder your weapon, you should be able to keep your head level, straight ahead. You should be able to bring that gun straight up to your cheek, look straight across the uh, barrel. When you're looking across the barrel of a shotgun to shoot a, a bird out of the air or a rabbit hopping through a field where you have to train on that animal and lead it, you should not see the barrel at all. You should see the receiver in the bead at the end of the gun. It should be completely flat, dead level. If you take a tactical stock length shotgun, shorter than a sporting length shotgun, for your fit, now if you're short, that that length might be perfect for you. But for if you're a five foot eleven inch guy and you line that up and you take and you you just run that gun about forty five degrees through the air like you're uh, tracking a bird. Stop when you're, you know, about 90 degrees up, when you're pointing it almost straight up at 45 degrees out, and look, and I'll tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see the rib of that shotgun barrel all the way down, or at least three-quarters of the way down, and you know what that means? That means you're going to shoot over your target, and it's going to happen over and over and over again. So proper fit is very important. The best way you can determine if you're close is when you bring that gun up. Maybe I'll do a YouTube video for you all this weekend on this. When you bring that weapon up and you bring it straight to your cheek and you don't bring your head forward, you don't bring your head down other than to tighten up on the stock, you bring the gun to your head and you're in a comfortable shooting position, when you look out at your arm, whether your left or right arm, you look out over your shoulder, the piece between your shoulder and your elbow should be about 90 degrees from your body and 90 degrees from the floor. And if it ain't 90 degrees, you're wrong. And I'm sorry, and I don't care who I offend or who I've said. All I'm telling you is you will shoot better if you have that type of a fit. That won't turn you into a great shot, but you'll shoot better than you will with any other type of fit. And that's, that's just the way shotguns are designed to work. And if you go look at somebody that spent $10,000 to have one custom made to their body, in essence, that's where their fit's going to be. Um, let me put it another way. It's like, let's say, how many times have you ever had a screw that needed to be turned and you couldn't find a screwdriver, so you go to a drawer and pull out something like a butter knife? That butter knife will turn that screw. Or maybe you pull out a Leatherman, you use that little flat tip piece at the end of your uh, bottle opener, and it'll turn, it's even made to do that, right? Or maybe you use a Leatherman to turn a number two Phillips, and it'll work. And if you have it and you need it, great. But if you were going to turn number two screws every day, you'd go get a good quality number two screwdriver with a quality tip that's designed for that job, and that's what you would do. Well, if you're going to hunt, you go out and get a gun that is fit and designed for hunting if you're going to do that often. All right, so that's that's why fit is important and form and function are important. Let's talk real brief about some common shot sizes. I think people have some misunderstanding about shot sizes and what their purpose and what their for, uh, purpose is. Um, your most common shot size you'll see for people hunting things like dove and quail and smaller game birds is eights. And eights are a good kind of all-around uh, small uh, small bird uh, shot. I actually use nines an awful lot dove hunting. And uh, I've had very good results f- from them. I've had 
no problems with cripples. Uh, I generally knock down more birds using nine shot. And with shotgun shot, if you're not familiar with it, the higher the number, the smaller the BB. The smaller the BB, the more number of them there are per ounce, but the less lethality each individual one has. There is a huge amount of shot in a one and a quarter ounce nine shot 12 gauge shell. And uh, you end up with an awful lot of BBs on a dove. So for animals the size of dove and down, I'm a big fan of nine, and I have a a lot less um, blown up ones, let's put it that way, when they're a little bit closer than you'd like to take the shot, but let's say they're passing over you and you're not going to get the shot, so you go ahead and take it. Uh, get a lot less heavily damaged uh, birds with nine shot. And everybody that I've ever gone dove hunting with that I've said, you know what, here's a box, give it a shot, try it, that's been skeptical, uh, has switched. So I'll just throw that in. But eights and nines, that's what they're for, they're for birds or for skeet. A lot of people shoot skeet uh, or clays with nines because you get what they think is a bigger pattern, where you actually get some more dense pattern. Um, the Kind of the all-around shot size is seven and a half. Uh, if you were going to go hunting and you might be shooting a squirrel one minute, a ringneck pheasant, the next, uh, and who knows what else, you know, you might get a shot at a rabbit, you want a kind of an all-around do-all, seven and a halfs uh, are what most people go with, six shot is, uh, if you're going out for pheasants, uh, you're going to get less cripples with six, I use six a lot for ducks, I know a lot of people drop down to fours for ducks, but I've done very well hunting ducks with six, especially copper-plated, buffered sixes, um, you know, quite a bit bigger than a seven and a half, a lot more lethality. Uh, dropping to a 20 gauge in squirrel hunting, I won't use anything but sixes. Um, squirrels are pretty tough creatures, especially when you're taking them high out of the trees. Fours, your bigger ducks like mallards, I usually use sixes when I'm hunting ducks, and I'm like hunting uh, wood ducks or teal. Uh, your bigger ducks like mallards, uh, fours are really good kind of getting into that range. Uh, a lot of people also use number fours for hunting uh, turkeys uh, with a heavy choke, like a full choke or extra full choke, taking headshots. Uh, number twos, a lot of people use them for turkeys. A lot of people use them for ducks. Uh, a lot of people use them for geese. Uh, two's a pretty heavy uh, diameter shot. You have a lot less shot. I'm not really going to get into that because I want to cover a lot of ground. And I'm not going to get into a lot about patterning in today. Um, but BBs are also something that people go to often with hunting geese uh, and other waterfowl, which a BB shot size is. You know those BBs that you put into like a uh, uh, BB gun? That's the diameter that those guys are. Real quick, I want to touch on steel shot. You've probably heard of steel shot. You might wonder what the big deal is, why people like it or don't like it. It can, one, because it's harder, cause cosmetic damage to your uh, your barrel. It's generally a little bit faster as far as its velocity, um, so it gets to the target a little bit quicker. You might think that's an advantage, but if you shoot a shotgun with lead shot all the time, you kind of get your lead and your timing based on a certain velocity, and uh, people have a tendency to miss. The big problem with steel shot is it leads to a lot of cripples. And what is steel shot? Why do we even have it? It's used for waterfowl hunting, and in certain states and in certain areas, whenever you're waterfowl hunting, you have to use steel, and it's because of the damage that all that lead shot does left in wetlands and down in the mud and gook, where the waterfowl will go and eat stuff and swallow the lead and get lead poisoning. That's why it exists. But it it results in a lot of cripples. Uh, We've done a lot of things to try to compensate for it, uh, including 
going to uh, tighter chokes. But there's a lot of what they call heavy shot out there made from things like tungsten that have no lead, but they weigh as much as more or more than lead. If you're going to do waterfowl hunting where steel shot is required, I recommend you spend the money on the heavy shot. You'll get a lot less cripples, uh, especially geese are big, tough birds. They're hard to bring down. Um, let's talk about chokes for a minute. The And there are other chokes, so don't get all in a wad if I don't name your favorite choke. But your primary chokes are cylinder, skeet, improved cylinder, modified, improved, modified, and full. And skeet being the most open, uh, well, actually cylinder bore being the most open. There's basically no choke in a cylinder bore. Your first real choke is a skeet choke, and it's for exactly for what it sounds like. People that shoot skeet, uh, the relatively uh, short distance skeet, uh, they get a wider spread on pattern. We'll talk about pattern again just in a second. And as you tighten the choke, you get denser patterns. What denser patterns do is allow you to knock down targets at further ranges. But they come at a price. If you shoot a dove um, at, let's say, 15 yards with a full choke, you're going to do a lot of meat damage. An improved cylinder, uh, you're going to do a lot less. It's still a bit close. If you were taking a shot on a dove on the wing, you might want to let him get a little bit further out if you have the opportunity. But that denser pattern does more damage at close ranges. It also reduces the overall size of your pattern, not to the level that I think people have in the mythical world of shotgun patterns. Um, But... You will hit more targets at a range that the choke is adequate for um, with a more open choke because you'll get a slightly wider spread in the pattern overall. As the pattern gets wider, though, folks, one thing you have to understand is the density goes down. In other words, the distance between the BBs, and as patterns open up a lot, i.e. you're shooting a skeet, uh, a skeet choke at a fairly long range. You're taking a long shot at a dove, say 35 yards and moving. You might actually be on the bird, right? And there might be enough of a hole in the pattern and with the reduced velocity at that range that you might get one or two pellets in the bird, but he'll just keep going. He basically flies through a hole in the pattern. It does happen. That's why chokes are important. There's different things that make you change your chokes. One is just the animal that you're hunting, uh, the bird that you're hunting, the type of thing that you're doing. Another thing is wind. When the wind's high and uh, you're shooting animals in the wind and you're, they're further out, you generally go to a tighter choke. It's something I can do a whole show just on chokes, so we're going to kind of wrap it there. Let me just say that there's kind of a debate between people about what is the most kind of, if you wanted to buy, you know, use a one one choke, a universal do-all choke, and it usually lies somewhere between improved cylinder and modified. And the people that generally are taking longer shots are going to move to a modified and the people that generally are getting closer shots are going to move to that improved cylinder. But somewhere in there, and you'll notice that a tremendous number of your double guns, uh, like your single, your, your over and unders and your side-by-sides, will uh, will have an improved cylinder and a modified. Even if they have choke tubes, the tubes that they're going to come with are those improved cylinder and modified. And that is one inherent advantage of your double gun. Uh, you could have two chokes ready to go at the same time. And with selective fire guns where you can move a switch or double triggers, you can choose which one to use when that bird gets up. I saved that advantage for doubles until now when I was talking about chokes. Don't overthink chokes, though. And just understand that as you move to tougher game with longer shots, you're going to move up to tighter chokes. And as you're going to move to easier, uh, lighter game with closer shots, you're going to move more toward the side on the skeet. Uh, But that improved cylinder modified range 
which will work well for you most of the time. Now, most people that shoot turkeys will go to a full choke. Turkeys are generally shot on the ground and called in. Uh, we'll let that go there. Let's talk real quick about slugs and buckshot. And... Um, Remember, again, this is not a tactical discussion. This is a sporting hunting discussion. As we move into buckshot, I actually really do not like buckshot as a hunting tool. Um, your range is severely limited with buckshot. I'm not comfortable shooting much past 25 yards with buck. Now, I know somebody's going to email me. You're going to say, I shot a buck with double O and a full choke at 40 yards, and I knocked him on his ass. And Yeah, I know. Okay, fine. And, um, you know, I shot a blackbird out of the air one time with a 22 long rifle. In fact, I shot quite a few blackbirds out of the air with a 22 long rifle because my uncle and I used to stand on this old stripping bank behind our house and shoot grackles out of the air with a 22 just to see how often we could get it done. But shooting birds out of the air is not the mission of the 22. And honestly, I don't care that they call it buckshot. Buckshot is not the proper tool with a shotgun for knocking down white-tailed deer and similar size game. It is a slug. And uh, that doesn't mean you can't use buck. And if it's what you have and you're in a survival situation, fine. Uh, but you ask, why why is buck so deadly on human beings uh, and not as efficient at taking down deer at ranges, you know, especially past 20, 25 yards? It is very simple. You are not a deer. A deer is a hell of a lot tougher than you. If I locked you in a room and you tried to wrestle down a wild 85-pound white-tailed doe, she will beat the living snot out of you. I've seen deer shot through both lungs with a 3006 with a 180-grain nosler that literally turned their lungs to jelly. And I've seen, I've seen them drop, and I've also seen them run spraying blood for over 100 yards. I don't think any human shot side-to-side side through both lungs with a 3006 is going anywhere. Deer are tougher than people. That's the way it is. Um, I remember a friend of mine that ended up trying to uh, help out a captive, a, a fawn that was kind of stuck. A fawn. This deer was probably 35 pounds, and uh, it was tangled up in some stuff, and he managed to get this little thing free and let it go. He said it felt like he was holding on to spring steel. How powerful this little creature was. And uh, so please understand that a deer is not a human. And they are tougher to put down, and it's important to anchor them. And uh, so I'm just not a fan of buckshot. That's why. Slugs, on the other hand, make deer dead. And uh, even a plain old um, Foster-style slug, which are the cheap slugs, not the Sabo rounds, uh, with copper bullets and all this other nonsense and jazz. I'm not a big fan of those, um, really. I like the you know you got a 75 caliber piece of lead, and the first thing people want to do now is to get it to go faster, turn it into a 45 caliber handgun bullet. So if you use those, I understand why. You know, you can take 150-yard shots with a shotgun now. And some of you guys are hunting in areas where you have to use a shotgun, and, and uh, you put a scope on it, and you basically turn your shotgun into a rifle. And fine, that's part of the versatility. But for day-to-day utility, foster slugs are good out to 50 yards. You get a nice barrel uh, with rifle sights on it. Generally, you can push that to 75 without much trouble. And uh, the right gun with the right load and the right shooter can push that to 100 yards. And, and my, my personal feeling as a bow hunter, is that's 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 a cakewalk to get 100 yards from your prey. If you're hunting out in the West and you're taking them 200 yard shots, you ain't using a shotgun anyway, right? So um, that's where I come down on shots using the Foster style slugs. This is why I say everybody needs a semi-auto or a single shot or a pump gun as part of the core of their shotgun utility for hunting. 
and it's because double barrels do not make good slug shooters. There's a reason if you buy a double rifle, you know the old double rifles that Robert Rourke used to run around Africa with, that they cost you know a mortgage on a house. Part of it is the workmanship that goes into those guns, but a, a big part of it is how much work it takes to do what's called regulate them. See, since it's a double, it doesn't shoot exactly straight. It shoots slightly angled in. And generally, most of those rifles are regulated to shoot to the same spot, left and right barrel, impacting the center line at either 50 or 75 yards. And it takes a lot of work to regulate those guns to shoot that way. And generally, you're not going to be happy with a single projectile out of a double-barrel shotgun. A double-barrel shotgun, be it over and under or side-by-side, the ones made today are specialized tools. They're they're no longer designed just so you can have a second shot, because you can have a third shot, right? They're designed because they point better, they feel better, and they are made to knock birds out of the air. That is their purpose. Let them be that. If you want to put deer down, you want one barrel to side on. Trust me, you'll get better results. Again, it's the right tool for the right job. Now, I mentioned when we talked about tactical shotguns, I believe in a more open choke for your tactical shotgun. Uh, Many people may say, why? Tactical ranges, your choke don't matter much. You know what? At 11 feet inside your home, a, a, a cylinder bore versus a full choke will have almost no difference because the pattern doesn't get enough time to open up. Why do I say that? Because if you're going to use slugs, most slugs made today are slightly oversized. And that's to give better accuracy uh, across most uh, shotgun barrels. So what I mean by oversized is when you fire that slug, it actually has a very, very snug fit, and it's kind of squeezed as it goes through your barrel. Well, the tighter your choke, the more it squeezes toward the end. And these oversized Foster-style slugs of today, Remington does it, Winchester does it, tend to not be as accurate in a full choke. They'll generally shoot their most accurate in an improved cylinder or a skeet barrel. So just having the utility for slugs is why I made that recommendation there. It's why I make the recommendation here of improved cylinder or modified. If you're going to buy a gun without choke tubes, and I say don't buy a gun without choke tubes, you can help it. Uh, But when you're using slugs, at a minimum, if you're using smooth bore without rifle sights, you're just going to use the barrel that came with the gun, improved cylinder. With your Foster-style slugs, you're going to get the best results. And trust me, when you put a Foster slug into a black bear or a deer, or anything else in that class, it dies fast. It is the most knockdown thing I've ever seen, and I've hunted with 300 Weatherbees, 338 Winchester, 7 Mags, 30.06s, you name it. Close range, nothing beats the shotgun. Um, I do recommend, though, that you consider, if you're going to use that one all-around gun, investing in a barrel that's made for slugs with rifle sights on it. It doesn't need to be a rifle barrel. In fact, if you're going to shoot Foster-style slugs, you're better off without it. If you're going to shoot Sabo slugs, that's fine. Uh, Then you go with a rifle barrel, but I don't think you need it. If you use a shotgun as it's designed for shotgun hunting for for medium and large game, smoothbore, rifle sights, all you need. Uh, Don't begrudge you if you have one of those kitted up ones that can shoot 150 yards. Don't begrudge you, just my personal preference here. Uh, But that's why. I'd like to throw out just a little bit on reloading. The thing about reloading a shotgun is it's extremely affordable. Now, if you're buying the cheapest birdshot stuff you can get, you don't save a lot of money. But when you start looking at, you know, six cops, 
hopper plate uh, for ducks and uh, you know maybe your heavy game loads for squirrels and rabbits and stuff you save a ton of money um, we don't generally have shortages we got all these shortages recently on reloading components small pistol large pistol and large rifle primers and small rifle primers very hard to get your hands on right through there you can get shotgun primers you do need what's called a wad in a shotgun so it's an extra component over rifles so you need a, you need shot you need holes you need wad um, and you need powder obviously the Lee Loadall shotgun shot shell loader is very very inexpensive and it is fine for the hobbyist reloader if you're going to reload high volume go out and get yourself an MEC uh, with uh, you know a turret press for, for high volume but to knock out a box of shells here and there uh, the Lee Loadall is the best value that I've ever seen uh, for shot shell reloading and I want to uh, throw out a little little plug for Lee here uh, Lee Loading um, on a mold for a shotgun slug. They make a shot slug mold for something called a keyhole slug. It is very, very cool, and unlike, it's the only slug I know of that the home reloader can use regular, plain old reloading equipment to reload. When you look at a slug, you generally see like the edges are rolled and you see the face of the slug. This keyhole slug is designed to go into a shot shell wad, and then it crimps like any other shot shell crimps up. All right, so I think that that is a really cool thing. And for a prepper survivalist, if you got a big old chunk of lead and a way to melt it down in that mold and a shotgun with a bunch of bird shot, you have a lot of self-sufficiency going on. And I found those slugs to be extremely accurate, um, and I really like shooting them out of a smoothbore with rifle sights. Uh, out to 50 yards, they basically, that, that wad wraps around them, gives them a great seal on that bore of that shotgun, and uh, they're... They're also devastating. They're about the same weight as a Foster-style slug. And again, a Foster slug is you go down to uh, Academy or any other sporting goods store, and you buy plain old cheap shotgun slugs, and you pull the shell out, and you look at a big old hunk of lead with kind of a dimple in it, that's a Foster-style slug. And that, that's my preference, unless you're, again, a specialized person uh, that's looking to maximize your range with a shotgun. And again, those are generally, I think like Indiana, Illinois, a lot of those states up in that area have shotgun-only requirements for deer season because of the population density and they're trying to reduce range and i just find it ironic that they allow you guys up there i'm not against it i'm just finding it ironic that you're allowed to go out get a rifle barrel for your shotgun and then go out and buy these sabo uh things that you know have a 45 caliber slug in it and basically the ballistics are the same as a 4570 and uh, you could be out there every day with a 4570 and you would be no more dangerous to the people around you than you are with that slug so i do find that ironic so i know i went fast to that covered a lot of ground i talked about a lot of different things and to be honest with you you'll learn more by going out and shooting than you will from today's show. But hopefully it's got you thinking. And hopefully if you've been kind of always around the tactical aspects of things, it's got you considering some different things from a sporting side of things. And I think you can have a lot of fun, you can learn a lot, and you can put some meat on the table with a shotgun. And I I ask you, if you haven't ever looked at a shotgun that way before, take a new look at it today. Learn a little bit about fit and function. Um, Go get some instruction. Just like it would help you to go get tactical instruction to be able to uh, to protect yourself and protect your home, going out and get, getting instruction on proper 
shooting uh, for sporting use will make you a hell of a lot better of a shot as well, and it'll take your learning curve and reduce it. Uh, there's a lot of places out, a lot of gun ranges out there where you don't even have to own a gun. You can go rent a gun. You can get shoot around a sporting clays. It's not real expensive. It's a hell of a lot less than a round of golf, and for just a little bit more money, you can get an instructor to walk the course with you, and shooting two or three rounds of sporting clays with a good instructor, go ahead and start out with a nice over and under gun, rent one if you don't own one, learn to shoot that way, you'll become a much better shot much faster that way with some someone teaching you uh, than I think you will otherwise. And overall, understand that when it comes to utility, when it comes to being able to take game from the smallest to the largest, and you want that utility one-all, be-all shotgun, uh, or one-all, be-all gun, shotgun is, is about as close as it comes. No, it won't reach out 300 yards, folks. None of them will. But you know what? You can take that dove one day and knock down a deer the next. And I don't know anything else that will do that. We didn't really talk about gauges today. Uh, just know that I'm a big fan of the 12, the 20, and the 16 gauge. I think they all have a purpose. I get why some specialized hunters should go to a 10 gauge for waterfowl. Again, steel shot has made that more prevalent lately. Uh, real quick before I finish up, I want to say something about 410. Um, the 410 is the, you know, the diminutive little uh, shotgun shell. And I hear two pieces of advice about it all the time, and I think both of them have merit and a point, and it's important to consider both of them when you're teaching a new young shooter. A lot of people say start your new shooter out with a 410 because he's got very low recoil, and it's easy to shoot, and it's not very loud, and he won't develop any type of problems. Uh, other people say the 410 is an expert's, uh, expert's cartridge. It's designed for the, the person who is an expert shotgunner. And I knew a guy that used to hunt pheasants with a 410 with six shot, and he'd knock them down like nobody's business, and he was an expert. And uh, those people are right, too. And what they'll say is start your new shooter with a 20-gauge because they'll hit more targets, and that'll give them more confidence, they'll enjoy it more, and they'll stick with the sport more. Well, both sides have a point. And let me put it to you this way. Do not start your young shooter with a 20-gauge if they don't have the body frame and the ability to absorb the recoil without developing flinches. You'd be better off teaching that shooter how to shoulder the weapon, how to get their head down on the barrel, and making the targets easier to hit. Maybe throwing some hand-thrown clays and things like that, putting them into, like, uh, you know, eight shot out of a 410 uh, with hand-thrown clays. If they're on, they're on. If they're off, they're off. It doesn't matter. And I'll tell you what. It's how I started my son off with a 410 single shot because he was a little guy when I started him shooting. A 20-gauge would have just knocked him around too much. He wouldn't have been comfortable shooting it. And uh, we might go off and fire 25 uh, shells. And when he first started, he might only knock four or five of them out of the air. Yeah, with a 20-gauge, maybe he would have knocked eight. You know what? He was excited to knock four or five out of the air. He was excited to shoot. He enjoyed it. He got enough confidence from the fact that he hit anything. And by the time he was big enough to handle a 20-gauge, when we started throwing skeet for him, it was dust. And I think that was the right way to bring that boy into shooting because of his frame size. Um, now, if at if I hadn't started him shooting, just let's say he was 12, and at 12 years of age he had been you know 90 pounds and had been able to easily handle the recoil of a 20, I would have started him with a 20. Both of those arguments have a point.
But don't throw one out due to the other. It just doesn't make any sense. The most important thing for a new shooter is that they don't become afraid of or develop bad habits because of the gun itself and its discharge. You do not want a shooter afraid of the weapon. When you have a shooter afraid of the weapon, they will never develop the inherent um, needs that there are to shoot well. The head down instead of up. The not picking your head up off the barrel, the not looking at the target to see it break before you actually pull the trigger. All of these things that happen will never not happen uh, if you have them afraid of the gun. They will become a bigger problem. So tailor the gun to the shooter. They'll grow up, and then you can put a 20-gauge in their hands. All right, and then you can move them to a 12. If they're big enough, if they can shoot a 20 gauge, if it doesn't frighten them, going right to it, I have no problem with that as well. So hopefully that gives you some advice, whether you've got new shooters. The same thing with ladies there, uh, bringing a lady around to shooting, maybe scaling them up through a 410, uh, smaller shooters, what have you. 20 gauge is really easy to shoot. Uh, you'll do very well with it. Most people can learn to take the recoil, but you don't start out afraid of the gun. Think about how these things directly apply to you. And if you've never gotten out in the field with a shotgun before, September's coming up. It's dove season in most of the country. There's a lot of little leases out there you can lease for 50 bucks a day. Go out and give it a shot. Uh, I think it'll change your life in a way because it'll bring you into a world uh, that maybe has been foreign to you in the past. And uh, some of my best days ever have been spent with the, uh, spent with the sun on my back, uh, standing at a tree line in a field and uh, taking down some morning doves. It's a great way for you to start living that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.